Hey guys, thanks for watching another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. This is my third live stream today, so really getting after it, but it's good. It's all good. Um, so a lot of you guys have seen that libertarians have been making it into the news and some of them into the debates around the country. Unfortunately, in New Hampshire, we're only making it into the news, not into the debates. But I just had Shane Hazel on last night who made it into the debate in Georgia for governor. And today I've got the libertarian nominee for U.S. Senate in Arizona, Mark Victor, who was in the debate as well. Uh, and he's polling pretty well for a libertarian out there in Arizona. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, brother. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having um, me, man. So I got to address the elephant in the room because this is all ever. This is what a lot of people know you for is your age of consent example that you gave um for something that should be voted on instead of decided arbitrarily um i watched your video explanation for it i get where you were coming from i still think that was the worst example you could have used just because of the meme <laughs> that is associated with libertarians and age of consent but i wanted to let you just explain to the audience what you meant when you were saying that if you watch the entire question and the entire answer it doesn't come off as badly but when it's clipped, it certainly isn't a good look. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to explain what you meant when you said that. Yeah, well, actually, I didn't know what you were talking about when you said the elephant in the room, because uh, this really hasn't been much of an issue. It has among some libertarians. I guess uh, there was some issue in libertarian politics with some libertarian somewhere who wanted a lower age of consent or something. I was completely unaware of that issue. So uh, it's really libertarians who blew this issue up, unfortunately. Uh, and I did make a video, and I would encourage people to go to my political website, which is liveandletlivevolution.com, and just uh, check out my sort of uh, comments after the video, which I think explain it very clearly. Um, but to, uh, to get into what I was talking about, we had just been talking about the issue of abortion. And, um, you know, I see the issue of abortion as a very difficult libertarian question. I think the, I think this is obvious for people who've been around the libertarian movement, right? We've had libertarians for life, libertarians for choice. I think overwhelmingly, or, or the majority of libertarians sort of take a pro-choice position. I don't think that's exactly the right position for libertarians, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think there are questions that libertarians encounter where reasonable minds disagree. And what I mean by reasonable minds here are reasonable libertarian minds, people who understand what I, some, what I as a libertarian would call the non-aggression principle, what I now call the live and let live legal principle, exact same thing. Uh, people who are committed in good faith to that principle, trying to apply it faithfully to the libertarian philosophy, they just disagree. Walter Block, who's a friend of mine, calls these continuum problems. And so the case of abortion, in my opinion, is one of those cases, right? It's not a matter of when life begins. We know when life begins. That's a science question. Life begins at conception. There's no question about that. The issue really is when do we afford rights to the unborn baby? Or said another way, uh, when does the baby own itself? Or said yet another way, when does the non-aggression principle start protecting the unborn baby? Well, some reasonable minds say, look, uh, at the moment of conception, they have arguments for that. 
Some say uh, maybe 15 weeks. Some say later than that, maybe viability or some point later. <coughs> Excuse me. My point here is there's no libertarian right answer. Uh, and so when we encounter such a question, we have some options, right? We can fight about it forever and be at each other's throats about this, which I do not think is a good approach or a better approach, in my opinion, is to say, let's take the harder the question, let's put it in a smaller community possible. So abortion being a very hard question, let's put this in the city and town level and let's pick a reasonable range of choices, right? There are obviously unreasonable spots here too. An unreasonable spot might be uh, before conception, people take the position. In fact, a lot of these legal cases grew out of contraception cases. Some people take the position that uh, we should outlaw contraception because the potential life should be protected. Okay, I see that as an unreasonable position. Some people might say after birth. Okay, that's an unreasonable time. So pick a reasonable range and then let the local community select from the reasonable choices within that range. There's a few things I like about that. One is I don't think any of us is entitled to our own personal construction of the principle. I think what we are entitled to is at least a reasonable construction. And if you let the local community select a rule there, then what you get is at least a reasonable rule. But the second thing that I like about this is it puts market forces on the question, right? I mean, if city A picks one reasonable choice and city B picks another reasonable choice, if you don't like that choice, it's low transaction costs to move, to boycott, refuse to do business with, whatever, shame, whatever you want to do. And of course, this will put market forces on the question. And then ultimately, I don't think we're going to get 500 different rules here. What we'll get is communities will coalesce around the one or two or maybe three most popular rules. And then it may go back to the state level, right? If enough communities say, hey, this is the choice we're all making, there's an overwhelming preponderance of this, maybe it becomes less of a controversial question, and now it's back to a state-level question. Okay, so with that backdrop to the discussion we had just had about abortion, I was making the point that there are other questions. One question, which is a good one to talk about, is the issue of what is a substantial risk. I take the position, along with Murray Rothbard, and I think most libertarians, that um, putting another person or their property at substantial risk of harm, said another way, to put somebody in danger, that's also aggression. It violates the rule. But what exactly is a substantial risk of harm? Okay, reasonable minds disagree here too. Think of a residential neighborhood with, uh, I don't know, uh, two tons of TNT recklessly stored on the property in a residential neighborhood. That's very likely putting another person at a substantial risk of harm. Uh, one firecracker, that's not putting somebody at a substantial risk of harm. Well, somewhere in between those two spots, reasonable minds disagree. Let's figure out where the reasonable range is and let the local community decide. Okay, what I think is actually a better example is the one that I used for exactly the same reason. Age of consent, very much like the abortion question, is the abortion question is when do we afford sort of some protection of the principle to the unborn baby? Age of consent is when do we afford full protection of the principle to the person? Because minors, they don't get to enter into contracts. Some of them, they, you can't buy alcohol. Sex is one of those things. I didn't even mention that. I just simply said age of consent. And by the way, in the real world, this is not controversial. 
There are many, many states. In fact, most states use 16 as the age of consent. Here in Arizona, where I'm running for Senate and where I practice criminal law, 18 is the age. Other states have 17. We already have reasonable differences among the age of consent. And so all I was really saying is making an analogy. In fact, the point that I had made just before it, we were being asked about voting in the election. And yes, of course, I make the point about we want election integrity. But the bigger point, the much bigger libertarian point is too many things are up for a vote. And I made the point even in that comment that my body, my property, my money, my time, that is not something that I agree to put up for a vote, nor do I want to vote on your body, property, money, and time. But there are some things. These questions where reasonable minds disagree, an age of consent was is one of those questions which really shouldn't have been a controversial point, is the kind of thing that reasonable minds disagree on. So Point one, let's select a reasonable range, 18, 17, lots of states choose 16. I don't know exactly where to put the finer tip there, maybe 19. Uh, obviously, 12 is too low. That's not a reasonable selection. Step one, figure out the reasonable range. And then step two, let the local community. And in this case, I think the state is perfectly fine. We don't need a whole bunch of different cities and towns. It's not that controversial of a point. But I wouldn't object if people, if cities and towns or some state wanted to say cities and towns should decide for themselves. I wouldn't have objected. So this shouldn't have been a controversial point. In fact, really, the only people I hear controversy from are the libertarians who apparently are suffering from some earlier comment with somebody saying it should be lowered. I never suggested any such thing. It wasn't about sex. It certainly wasn't about lowering the age of consent. It was a real libertarian point about where about the few things that should be up for a vote. So I made a video on this and I got to say overall I was pretty disappointed with the libertarian response. The biggest group of pushback I've had running as a libertarian who's truly committed to libertarian principles was from libertarians. But it is what it is. This is the ongoing problems we have in our movement with us supporting uh, our brothers and sister libertarians. It's, a, it's an embarrassment for the people in the party, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm jealous of your lack of awareness of that <laughs> of that problem. You said like you didn't even think of it as controversial. Like, oh, my God. And um, I will agree that you are right. You did actually point out that it is one of the few areas where you do think the government has a legitimate role and it got twisted into this guy wants to get rid of the age of consent which is actually the opposite of what you're saying but um if you were aware of like how much of a controversy this has been not just recently but forever it's just been a libertarian thing forever it seems like every libertarian circle has a pedophilia problem somewhere this is where the wood chipper memes came from because this is a systemic problem in libertarianism but anyway that aside i just wanted to give you a chance to explain what you meant because a lot of people have seen that clip out of context or heard it secondhand from other people. So I just wanted you to be able to tell people what you said and what you meant. Um, yeah, let's get and also, I'll just add to that. I, you know, I haven't really been very involved in politics. I'm not a politician. I'm busy being a right. criminal defense lawyer. I'm more into the philosophy. And so, yeah, I was completely unaware of that. Knowing what I know now, I probably would have picked a different example, but I certainly don't back down from the example, I'll defend it. I think it's a solid libertarian point. And, you know, by the way, I mentioned we libertarians find ourselves defending 
legalization of methamphetamine, uh, taxes, uh, should the proper amount of taxation is zero. We got other controversial things that we got to defend. If we can't stand up and defend uh, the simple point that I made that uh, reasonable minds disagree on what a proper age of consent is within a reasonable range, and this is something local communities should vote on, we're not ready to fight these fights, in my opinion. We got to toughen up a little bit and defend our positions, especially when they really are libertarian positions. That's just my two cents worth here. And uh, while I don't need the backing of anybody, I'm happy to fight the fights all by myself as a lone wolf. It would have been nice to have my brother and sister libertarians. In fact, Dave Smith was one of the first ones to lead the charge here. And while I like Dave, I sure would have appreciated a phone call from him or an email or something to say, hey, Mark, what the heck are you talking about? Can we have a discussion about this? And you know, I've emailed Dave several times offering to talk to him about this, and it's been met with uh, crickets. I don't know why. Uh, again, I, I like Dave. I think he, he created a lot of the ruckus here. He called me a clown. He said uh, he brought guys on his show. They were talking about Mark Victor wants to lower the age of consent, all bunch of horrible stuff that's just simply not the case. And then he came out and endorsed Blake Masters for who knows what reasons. I don't know how we have a libertarian party if we have legitimate libertarian candidates pushing libertarian positions and we're pushing Republicans who aren't even close to libertarians. It just doesn't make sense to me. Anyways, I agree my that. No, no. I, I mean, I, I agree that we are quick to throw each other under the bus in general, and I don't find that attractive because, like you said, we have a big fight ahead of us. And, uh, you know, if if we are going to turn our backs on people as soon as they're in a negative spotlight, that's not good because all of us are going to be in a negative spotlight if we're serious about the policies we're advocating. But uh, let's let's leave that drama behind. I want to get into this race. So I'm going to. Uh, show your campaign website here for a minute. So to me, the number one issue, and we talked about this when I was on your show, the number one issue is foreign policy to me in general, just because, and I know you're a veteran, um, but foreign policy is so all-encompassing and what it covers. I mean, it it causes inflation. It causes more, um, you know, more authoritarian um, surveillance measures to be passed. It it's conscription, it's murder, it's property destruction. Uh, it, you know, you have all these people who go to fight wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and come back and uh, train to be police officers. They've been trained to literally know how to kill people and then they become police officers and you're not expecting any sort of massive violence coming from them. It, it's just it's a problem that causes so many other problems. So in general, it is the most important issue to me. But then right now. It's even more important. We've got U.S. airborne troops on the border of Ukraine ready to fight Russian soldiers. We've got tensions escalating over there like crazy. And then on the other side of the world, uh, you know, tensions with China are on the rise and, um, you know, over Taiwan. So um, I know you and I talked about foreign policy on um, your show a little bit. I just want to show your website here and what you have to say. Um, and so you say war is the absolute worst expression of humanity. Given our technology today, almost any war can result in the mass murder of innocent people. While there may exist arguments to mitigate punishments in certain cases, any harm to innocent to an in, uh, sorry, any harm to any innocent person is always unjustified and deserving of legal consequences for the aggressor. So most of this is pretty theoretical. I read through it before doing the show. 
what are your specific views on what's going on in Ukraine and what's going on in, um, you know, over in the South China Sea with tensions rising with China? What do you think the United States position should be? I know you've made videos about this. You can direct people to those. But summarize for us what you think the United States policy should be uh, addressing these conflicts. You know, I guess I would start by asking people, especially libertarians. These were, I'm assuming we got an informed crowd here uh, listening and watching your podcast. I'd encourage them. Go to live and let live revolution.com. Start with my issue. And by the way, I put a lot of information out there in under my stance. There's a lot of issues there. Read the one on foreign policy, because I think how you come down on this first question makes a lot of difference. And I think libertarians disagree about foreign policy, because how do, how do we think about foreign policy? In other words, you know, when you're dealing with individuals, and this is what I do as a criminal defense lawyer, right? If it's Mark and Reed, uh, that we can analyze what I do and what you do in my history and your history. But when you're dealing with countries, it's not quite so simple, right? Because the United States been around over 200 years. And you have completely different people running the show now than you had then. And so sometimes we libertarians like to take an approach and say, well, the United States did this in World War II. The United States did this in Vietnam. The United States did this in World War I. The United States did this in the Civil War. Well, okay, I guess if you pretend the United States is like a person with a propensity for violence, that makes sense. But that's really a fiction, right? The whole government is a fiction. It's a collection of people. It's a gang of people, if you will. So I prefer to analyze it differently than the sort of person approach. I like to hold people accountable for what they do. In other words, I look at the, the people who are operating the mechanisms of government and hold them accountable for what they've done. So in other words, I view more individual situations than sort of the general conduct of things. So I guess let me start by saying I analyze foreign policy issues exactly the way I analyze any other self-defense question. If another country has aggressed against our country, well, that's what our military is for. If somebody, and, and, they, and we may not have a choice, right? It's like if somebody comes up to you on the street and starts punching you in the face, you could say I'm anti-war or I'm for peace, but now you're in a fight. And if you're in a fight, you should win the fight. So maybe different than a lot of libertarians. I think our military is a tool. I think it can be used for good and bad. The same with the AR-15. It's why, you know, people who call it an assault rifle, it's a misnomer. It's a rifle. It can be used for assault. It can be used for self-defense. The military is the same way. It's a tool. If we're going to use it, I want to be the last word on force. And so I think we should have the strongest military. It should be used like firearms should be used only for defense. So if another country aggresses against us, then we're perfectly justified. But like everything else, we don't have to wait until someone's fist hits our face, right? This is the substantial threat. Now, in self-defense law, we talk about substantial and imminent threat. So I think that's very important as well. So if you start looking at the Russia question and you analyze it through the <clears throat> legal, what I'll call the live and let live legal principle, and every time I say that, I mean the non-aggression principle. And for people unfamiliar with that, check out liveandletlive.org. This is the global peace movement, and our legal principle is the same as the non-aggression principle. But the legal principle can and is violated 
<clears throat> if another person or another country creates a substantial and imminent risk against us. You could make a case here that Russia is doing that. The only case I see at the moment, <clears throat> and I'm again, I'm not convinced by this case. I'm just saying, here's a spot maybe where reasonable minds could disagree. If Russia is creating an imminent threat against the nuclear power plants in the Ukraine, then that creates a huge environmental disaster that affects the United States. <clears throat> you could make a case there, not for all-out war with Russia, but to use our military to protect maybe the nuclear power plants there. Now, this is not something, to be clear, that I'm ready to take a position on. I'm saying there's an argument there. But if you take that argument and you take that off the table, then there's no argument that I can see that the United States military, including the United States government, should be involved in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine is not an ally of the United States, not a member of NATO. And while I believe that Russia is aggressing against the Ukraine, there are lots of aggressions around the world, but the United States military is for defense of the United States and any places we've got allies, we've made agreements. Now, whether those agreements are wise or not is a different discussion, but I don't see that at all. Therefore, my conclusion would be the same if we were talking about two individuals, right? My conclusion is that the United States militarily, monetarily should not be involved in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, period. The, the position of the United States should be, at least on those points, we are not involved. Now, that doesn't mean diplomatically we can't try to help out and try to get the thing resolved. I, I think we should be doing that. If I was running the show, I would call up Mr. Putin and say, look, pal, Pick a room somewhere in the world. You and I are going to sit down and meet and we're going to come up with a peaceful discussion because I do worry about nukes being used. I worry about escalation. It could turn into a situation where there's a threat against us. And I want to avoid that happening. I think that should be the top priority of civilized people. But with that said, private people can do whatever the heck they want to do. And so if you want to go over there like you can on a fight when, on the playground, you, if one, if an aggressor is attacking somebody else while you're not obligated to get involved, you have every right to get involved and go defend another. This is a very common uh, self-defense concept, and I think it's in every state in the United States, defense of a third party. You can go over there and fight for Ukraine if you want. You can send money to the Ukraine if you want. I did. I sent money over there to help the Ukrainians fight the Russians. And to that end, I would like to see a private, and I say private Marine Corps because I'm partial to the Marine Corps, but imagine a private corporation for hire, and I don't know exactly what the business model would be, but imagine they say, look, if when enough people uh, pledge enough money to this point, we will get involved and help the Ukrainians. There are other places around the world. Maybe we'll go to Yemen. Maybe we'll go to Myanmar. There's other fights, and if enough, there's enough interest, and said another way, if private free people want to take money out of their wallet and hire mercenaries, if you will, or a private Marine Corps or a private corporation to go over there and fight or send money to go over and help the Ukrainians purchase weapons to fight the Russians, this is not an official position of the United States. People, good people from around the world should do this. This gives us the nice benefit of Biden or whoever is in charge 
speaking for the United States, calling Putin and say, look, the United States position is one of neutrality here. We're not involved. But there are people all over the world who are free to do whatever they want to do. So it gets us to the same place or maybe the same place where we are. People, if they want to spend their money, I mean, it's easy to say, spend somebody else's money helping the Ukrainians, right? But if you're willing to spend your own money and enough people are to help the Ukrainians, who am I to tell them they can't spend their money to help the Ukrainians fight off the Russians? I got absolutely no issue with that at all. Um, the big point that I want to make here is I think we should be extraordinarily careful to avoid all war. And I mean, sort of official war between countries. It's just really not an abstraction to me. I've been there. I've lived in a hole up by the minefields in Desert Storm. I took anthrax pills, nerve agent pills, horrible, horrible, uh, worst pot. It's the biggest violation of the principle, right? The legal principle. <clears throat> so in any event, I think that, um, and again, I, I don't minimize the good arguments of people who are saying, hey, Mark, the United States could have done a lot of things to avoid this situation, the expansion of NATO eastward, the violation of promises, all of that is true. The foreign policy of the United States has been a contributing factor to lots of problems around the world. Right? We got people who are not very talented, uh, not very bright, running things. And this is what we need to change. This is why we need to back libertarian candidates who are taking real intellectual libertarian positions. So there is fault here. Um, on the United States foreign policy for doing lots of things all over the world that has sort of led to these kinds of conflicts. But to be clear about it, Russia rolled the tanks across the border. Even if you think Russia is acting in self-defense, again, to employ a normal uh, routine concept in self-defense, Russia is using more force than is reasonably necessary to defend itself in my position. They're guilty of excessive force. So Russia's in the wrong, no matter what you believe about Russia being the aggressor or Russia acting in self-defense, which to be clear, I am not convinced of that argument. I think the U.S. could have done things to avoid this. Frankly, if it was up to me, I would have tried to move to get Russia back when Yeltsin was running this show to be part of NATO. It would be great to have everybody on the same team. Let's all unite around the same team and then deal with the aliens if they ever come for us someday. I want to avoid war. If it takes getting everybody on the same team, fine. That probably would have been the better approach, but we are where we are because we've had ridiculous foreign policy decisions up to this point. I worry about the future. We can't afford mistakes. We got lots of reasons to be much more careful and work towards peace. That's why I started the global peace movement in the first place. Okay. So this is what we got into when I was on your show on a theoretical level, when you talk about going over and fighting individually or individually sending weapons or money, I get where you're coming from. Um, However, especially when it comes to sending weapons or, you know, having a private force go and fight in the real world today, that's going to be like um, not Blackrock, Blackwater. It's going to be like the Blackwater Guards in Afghanistan or um, it's going to be, you know, weapons funded by the U.S. government to put some other puppet government in place i mean that's how these things realistically happen because you hear that is not saying, what I'm suggesting at all i am not well, no no i i understand that's not what you're suggesting however in the real world today that is the type of thing that would take place don't you agree 
Well, um, yeah, so there's always transition questions, right? We have to, I think it's, we got to be careful as libertarians to separate philosophy from implementation questions, I from agree. transition questions. These are sure. different questions. So, you know, it's, it'd be like saying, okay, just to make an analogy, we libertarians agree that taxation violates the principle. One percent taxation is one percent wrong, right? It violates the principle. But what to do about that? Do we pull out the rug and stop all taxation this very second? Or do we gradually move? If we gradually move, what do we do first? What do we do next? These are places, there's no libertarian right answer. And we damn sure should not be at each other's throats about this. Let's just get agreement in principle first and then start discussing how we implement, how we move. So yes, I agree. In today's world, if you dropped what I just said into today's world, yes, you would get the United States sending weapons, you would get BlackRock, you'd get all kinds of corporate cronyism and this, that, and the next thing. But if you thought more of a philosophical level and you had real corporations that were coming into the market that were saying, look, we're we're very good at this. We've hired ex-military. Here's what we do, whatever. And we have a way of figuring out when we get enough money and we'll go in. And of course, I don't want to send weapons with the, this is the same as a proxy war, right? What I want to do is have private individuals send money to a fund in the Ukraine where the Ukrainians can then purchase weapons from weapons manufacturers. So the United States can have clean hands and say, look, as an official policy, we are neutral. We are Switzerland. We are not involved in this. But to be to be fair about it, we have free people in our country and they're free to do whatever they want. And we stand behind that. This is great. Right. Who's Putin going to be upset with Mark Victor for sending money to to the Ukraine? So this is the way, in my view, it should work. What we want are people making decisions with their own money, not people making decisions with other people's money. Yeah, I get you. And I, I understand the difference between a philosophical realm and a practical realm. And that's actually the, the point I'm trying to make. I mean, if you're talking to me about this stuff privately, I totally understand where you're coming from as a libertarian. None of these ideas are foreign to me. It, it all makes sense. But when you're running for Senate um, or you're saying it on a public platform, the way that it's going to be interpreted or the way that it would be implemented nowadays is very different. So I think it's just, as you said, it's very important to draw that distinction between what is ideal and what is realistically going to happen. Um, so let's let's take a look at the other two candidates. Uh, I'm going to bring up Mark Kelly first. This is what um, he said on May 19th, 2022. He voted to pass the bipartisan emergency aid package for Ukraine, which was the $40 billion package. Uh, he said, Ukrainians have shown incredible resolve and resilience in the face of Vladimir Putin's illegal and unprovoked war. This emergency aid package will equip Ukrainian forces with the additional weapons and resources needed to defeat the Kremlin's assault on their democracy. In order to ensure Putin's defeat, we must remain united in our support for Ukraine and continue coordinating and working closely with our NATO, NATO allies. So what is your response to Senator Mark Kelly's vote in favor of sending all this money stolen from American taxpayers used to fund a proxy war, and then his claim that we need to continue working closely with Ukraine and our NATO allies. I, mean, I would just simply incorporate everything I just said over the last several minutes to say, no, I don't think that's the right approach. I think I wouldn't, for people who want to send their money to help the Ukrainians, 
Uh, it should be easy for them. There should be uh, corporations and things that come up in the marketplace to allow that to happen. But as far as an official United States policy, look, I think we got to be not all risks are created equal, right? The risk of nuclear conflict is about the worst risk we could have. And so anything that moves the needle even slightly closer to that, we got to be very, very careful about. I am not in favor of moving the needle any closer than it is. I want to move the needle the other way. In fact, I think we libertarians take a proper position when we say the proper use of nukes, at least militarily, should be to abolish them, right? These are weapons that cannot ever be used without violating the principle. They always kill innocent people. That's the nature of a weapon of mass destruction. Now, there might be other uses for these, right, besides military, maybe moving an asteroid or something. I don't know. So it wouldn't be completely accurate to say we should abolish all of them. But I want to abolish the weapons because they can't be used without violating the principle. Now, there are other issues involved here, ancillary questions, deterrence questions. Other people still have them. Should we have them to deter them? I understand all that. You know, you get to a point here as well where we can only sort of pontificate with the information we have. I'm not privy to, you know, top secret information or the military intelligence. There might be things that I could hear if I went to the Senate um, that could cause me to change my position here or there. But one thing I would be always consistent on is doing my best to always apply the same principles, exactly the principles we just laid out. Um, but, you know, there are transition questions, there are implementation questions. And I think that we run a little bit of danger in discussions like this when we oversimplify. Not all questions are so simple. They require a little nuance, you know, like the abortion question, right? We didn't really get into some other nuances, right? The reason why I think that always abortion should be allowed in the case of rape, always abortion should be allowed in the case of health to the mom, always abortion should be allowed when the mom or dad is making a decision about the welfare of the unborn baby, think euthanasia, that kind of thing. These can be justified for independent reasons. So there are always nuances that can be brought up. And again, you know, this is the hard, the hard part of dealing with a debate, which isn't really a debate, right? My 45 seconds, explain your position on Ukraine. And I didn't even get my 45 seconds. Sure. Very, look, we gotta be, we gotta be better with each other, right? Nobody is perfect. Nobody says things perfectly. Uh, we're all dealing in a, in a difficult environment, a very, very limited time. We get quoted out of context. We're never going to get anywhere unless we can, the very few of us who actually understand this philosophy can come together and support each other, which is why even now I don't say bad things about Dave Smith. I have every reason to. He called me a clown. He said he, he really defamed me on his podcast, but I'd like to talk to the guy because I think we could still reach an understanding. My impression is we still agree. We may agree on 99% of things. We're going to find the 1% we don't and be at each other's throats. This has plagued the libertarian movement in the 30 years I've been around. And we need to stop. We're not getting anywhere. Uh, yeah, you don't get any disagreement from me there. I think uh, uh, I'm, I'm friends with Dave Smith. And uh, that was actually one of our first discussion points when we became friends was around uh, not getting divided over minutia or whatever. So I hope you guys end up talking and and uh, working that out. So let's uh, let's transfer over to the other candidate, which is Blake Masters. Uh, I've got his foreign policy pulled up here. 
He says, as your senator, I will put America first by promoting policies that project American strength and protect us from the stupidities of the military and industrial complex. So sounds pretty good so far. Uh, then he says the main goal of our military should be simple. Be ready to protect lethal for uh, be ready to project lethal force to defend the United States. It's that simple. Still sounds pretty good. Unfortunately, for decades now, American politicians have been obsessed with waging pointless military interventions abroad to try to remake other nations in our image. This does not work. And we need to fire the generals and ideologues in the national security state who prioritize social causes like transgenderism and the enlisted ranks over actually winning wars. So all that, I don't really have any objections to yet. But then he says, as your senator, I will get rid of wokeness in the military, support military action only in defense of the U.S. and our allies like Israel. So this is the first big red flag for me. I support military action in defense of the U.S., yes, and our allies like Israel. Um, I don't know how well versed you are on this issue, but when it comes to defending Israel, that has been justification for tons of wars in the Middle East, especially the Iraq war. That was one of the biggest reasons we actually fought in the Iraq war. Um, he says, support our active troops and veterans by ensuring they get the very best health care, best physical and mental. Uh, make sure we maintain the most innovative, technologically capable armed services and get tough on China by far our top geopolitical rival. So it's got two big red flags for me there, defending Israel um, and getting tough on China. So what do you, I know you've already explained your philosophy, but specifically to these two points, how do you think the United States military should react? Well, the question in my mind regarding Israel is what exactly have we agreed to do with Israel? Okay, I think that the United States should honor whatever deals it's made. If they've made bad deals, we should move to get out of those deals, right? I, I don't want to be the world's police. Um, if we're going to make a deal to defend somebody, there should be a benefit to the United States, right? Ultimately, you know, if you play out what it is we discussed earlier, right, in the good people of the world start funding militaries with their own money, and that military becomes the reason to go around the world and knock off bad guys. Countries can stay out of this, and I like that idea of staying out of this. So I know we have some agreements with Israel. Uh, I am absolutely not in a hurry to get dragged into a war, so I would very, look, I'm a lawyer. I'd be in the small, fine print of the agreements that we've made with Israel. If we have obligated ourselves to defend them, then we will defend them um, and use the least amount of force that is reasonably necessary to defend them to the extent we've agreed to do that, nothing more. It doesn't involve nation building and things like that. Um, the China thing, I think, is a little bit um, a little bit more difficult. I think that, um, look, this we got to be very careful with China here, right? Because China is a military power. China has nukes. I think that um, and also China has made no threats against the United States. And so that's something we should consider. I think China is probably uh, more of a threat economically at the moment than anything else. And so when I talk about China, and I, I like to tell people what's most important in my mind to get through your head about China is that it wasn't that long ago China couldn't feed its own people. 
right? They were an economic disaster. They had fully bought into socialist and communist ide ideology. What happened? Why are we talking about China? We're talking about China because China pivoted. They had to so they could feed their people towards capitalism. That's how China grew their economy. That's why China has a powerful military. We're not talking about Venezuela. We're not talking about Greece. Why? Because they pivoted towards socialism. So how do, how do we, look, we can't just wish to be the most powerful military. The only way you get the most powerful military is by having the most powerful economy. And the only way you get the most powerful economy is by having a free market economy. And the way you get that is by respecting the live and let live legal principle or the non-aggression principle. So it always comes back to the same thing. You want to be the most powerful military, be the most powerful economy. How do you do that? You have a free market economy, which means you, you let people spend their dollars. The owners of those dollars spend their dollars the way they want to spend their dollars. Regarding Taiwan, um, we have a crazy policy with Taiwan right now. Uh, you know, we've, we've agreed to the one China policy. We're saying, okay, fine. Uh, Taiwan is part of China. We've also agreed to sort of fuel, to sort of, if you will, fight a proxy war if China invades Taiwan. I, I rather like our ambiguity right now regarding Taiwan. I don't want to draw a line in the sand like I believe Blake Masters does and say, here's the line. Okay, that's great. And it sounds tough. What happens if the Chinese cross the line? Now we're obligated to go across that line. This is exactly what Donald Trump did in um, with the Iranians, right? He said, look, uh, when, when he knocked off that uh, that general, which maybe or maybe, 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 maybe not was a good thing. I, I'm not privy to the intelligence, so I don't know. But let's imagine that was justified. Let's say he killed an aggressor right there, which is the only way it would have been justified. Then the Iranians said, we're going to have a response. And then Trump said, look, if you go after our troops, which they definitely could have done, we had troops in the area. He said, we will rain down hell fire on you like the world has never seen before. Okay, that's a big statement in my view, especially now you're putting the ball back in the court of the Iranians. Fortunately, when I'll say the cooler heads in Iran opted to shoot the missiles, not at our troops, but off to the side. But what if they had chosen to fire them on the troops? Now, Trump is in a position to, to rain down hellfire like the world has never seen on the Iranians who might have been backed by the Chinese or the Russians. And we, that might be an express ticket to World War III. Not interested in that not interested. So I like our policy about Taiwan, where we say, look, we're not going to say exactly what we're going to do. But I think we're in an untenable position with the China-Taiwan situation. What we should be doing is sitting down with them and coming up with a win-win deal. Not America first, but win-win. We can't be thinking America first. We can think, yes, we want win for America. But it's got to be a win for the other countries as well. Don't tell me there's not a way we can broker a deal that makes China happy, Taiwan happy, and the United States happy, where we can reduce all of this tension on nukes and maybe even get a deal to start reducing nuclear weapons and let the Chinese use their influence with North Korea and some other places. We've really got to start sitting down. This is, I'll give credit to Trump here. I liked that he talked 
to the North Korean guys. I like that he was willing to talk to people. I'd be willing to talk to everybody and anybody. And we should be, our top priority in foreign policy should be trying to roll back nuclear weapons. And look, Ron Paul said it best when he said, you're either going to get goods and services moving across borders or bombs and guns moving across borders. I favor goods and services. Ronald Reagan talked about peace through trade. I believe in peace through trade. Instead of raising tariffs on goods like Blake Masters and Donald, Donald Trump did and Blake Masters supported, I would get rid of that. I am a free trader in every aspect. We should be pursuing peace through trade. Gotcha. So you mentioned you know, you would read the contracts uh, to see what level of obligation we have to defend our allies. So what do you think about the existing contracts like NATO? Do you think we should be part of NATO? Do you think we should be part of the United Nations? Or do you think that these are institutions that we should leave and just take care of ourselves? Look, I'm not pro-NATO. I'm not anti-NATO. I'm pro-peace. If NATO can be used as a tool to get us to peace, then I'm in favor of using NATO as a tool to get us to peace. If NATO on balance um, moves us away from peace, then I'd be against NATO. I, I'm not ready to make that decision yet because I don't have the intelligence. I haven't studied the issue. All I can tell you about is the philosophy, the rules that I would employ, the goals that I'm looking for. So I don't know. I rather like the idea of getting everybody in NATO, if we're gonna, whether it's NATO or something else. Let's get everybody on the same team, right? It would be nice to get the Chinese and to get the Russians on the same team. So we're working together rather than against each other. I think, look, the people who live in these countries are not very different from each other, right? The average Chinese person, the average Russian, the average person in the United States, we want to raise our kids. We want them to do better than, than uh, we did. We want to eat good food and listen to music and hang out with our friends. It's the crazy people running the governments. And so the way to get this done is to really spread an idea about peace and freedom around the world. This is what we're trying to do with live and let live. Libertarianism is really more, the word libertarian isn't known very well outside the United States. I think we need to do, we need to think more globally now. I understand George Washington saying in his farewell address, avoiding entangling alliances, I get that. But to be fair, we're in a completely different world now. He didn't understand threats that can come from Yemen and artificial intelligence and pandemics that can be engineered. We're in a different world and we can't just ignore threats, maybe big threats, maybe existential threats that are coming from other parts of the world. So whatever we can use as a tool to get us to peace and freedom and prosperity is what I would do. I have no love for NATO. I have no hate for NATO. If it can be used to get us in the right direction, I'm all over it. Okay. You said you haven't researched it much, but from what you do know, do you think NATO has been used to create more peace around the world or create more suffering and war? You know, it's hard to say because you're asking me to engage in a counterfactual, right? What would have happened? It's like saying, what would have happened if the United States didn't engage Hitler in World War II? It's hard. We don't know what would have happened. I, you know, you've changed. We've all seen that movie, The Butterfly Effect, right? You change one thing and you can't predict what's going to happen. And so that, that's really an exercise in futility, would be guessing. All I can say, and, I, and I, what I'd love for us to all get our heads around is, let's agree on the principle. Let's agree against, uh, against we're against aggression. Let's agree on the main things and then say, what is the best way 
to transition us to a world where these risks are minimized. We're, we can't eliminate them. We're, when utopia is not an option for us to select, but I think we can move in a certain direction. I'd like to have sit downs. I'd love to, I would love to sit down with Putin and talk to him about the Russia Ukraine deal. I think a deal could be reached right now to get this thing resolved over there. And I, frankly, I think this is urgent. I think we should be sitting down and talking to the Chinese about Taiwan. These are hot spot issues that if they're not on the front burner right now, they could be on the front burner in a matter of a few hours. So we need to resolve them. We can't put the security and safety of the world at risk here. And, you know, there's another point where if you were ready to move off of this point, I wanted to make a point about uh, Blake Masters and his wokeness with the generals. And this ties into my dispute with Dave Smith. Now a good time for that? Uh, sure, go for it. You know, there were some comments that I made in the debate in response to Blake Masters. Um, he, he was sort of making this case that all of our generals are now pushing wokeness and they're all incompetent. I'm, I'm sort of against labeling groups of people. I think this is a big problem we have in society right now. All cops are, all this group is, all that group is. And I was simply making a point and I raised Mattis's name and this sort of set Dave Smith on fire because he says that uh, he didn't like Mattis because Mattis and Trump were at odds about pulling troops out of Syria. Fine. I don't take uh, that's fine. He, maybe he was right on that issue. But I, I wrote this to, to Dave Smith. And I want to just tell you what I wrote to Dave here about why I invoked Mattis's name. I said Mattis strongly opposed using the U.S. military as the world's police. That's a big point for me. Um, I liked very much that Mattis opposed Trump's misguided efforts to use the military during the Floyd protests. Mattis was keenly aware of the dangers of using the military against civilians on the streets of the U.S. He opposed Trump's efforts to divide people and was, and was instead a uniter of people. He wrote a public letter on this issue. He disagreed with Trump and agreed with Ron Paul on the Iranian nuclear deal. He disagreed with Trump and opposed assassinating Assad. He was against unqualified support for Israel and supported a two-state solution to actually get peace in the Middle East. Like me, he was a fan of Stoic philosophy. I like those things about him. Nevertheless, I understand your position here too. So uh, Dave Smith was all upset with me because I invoked Mattis's name as an example of a general who wasn't pushing wokeness and who wasn't incompetent. Yes, I agree, he's no libertarian, he wasn't perfect. Um, but to sort of shred me, to try to shred me publicly, because I pushed back on Blake Masters over generalization about all the generals uh, being these sort of fans of wokeness. And again, I agree with him about wokeness. I, having served in the Marine Corps, there this is no no place for wokeness. Look, I, I'm not a. I don't even know what the hell wokeness means. To to be honest with you, I'd love someone to give me a definition. But if you want to believe in wokeness, as long as you're not an aggressor, have fun. But there's no there's no role for that, I don't think, in the military. The military's role is to be a tool to kill people and break things if needed. So, again, I think this is really grasping at straws to attack fellow libertarians uh, for reasons I don't understand. Again, to be to be fair about this and to be clear about it, I've emailed Dave Smith two or three times offering to come on his podcast to talk to him. I see him as a leader in the libertarian movement. I want to close ranks with the guy, I like the guy. 
I don't know why he did what he did. I want to smooth things over. To the extent we're not talking is not because of me. I've reached out to him several times. I've offered to have the discussion. No response back. So anyways, I just wanted to make that point. I think people should understand Mark Victor really is a uniter. I don't feel like we all have to agree on everything. Do we have agreement on the basic principles? If we do, welcome to the club. If we don't have agreement on the basic principles, like I know Blake Masters doesn't agree on the basic principles. Why are we supporting people who don't agree on the basic principles? That's my point here. All right. So uh, let's shift gears here again. Um, you put a video out a few days ago explaining how many people have contacted you and asked you to drop out and endorse Blake Masters. And apparently an equal number of people have asked you to endorse Mark Kelly. Um, your what 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 are your poll numbers right now on average anyway? I saw one that said 15%. That seemed a little optimistic, but uh what what are your average polls showing right now? No, I, I don't really pay attention to any of that, uh, frankly. I, I saw the poll that's had me at 15%. And to be fair, I don't know when I'm not representing that it's equal. I can tell you I get a lot of people who uh, who are upset because they like Kelly or upset because they like Masters, and I haven't counted them. Maybe there's a few more for Blake Masters, to be fair about it. But surprising number of people who are very pro-Kelly are wanting me to step down because they fear that my presence will get Blake Masters elected. So I find it interesting that I'm pulling from both sides. I think that should be the libertarian position. I'm, at, frankly, very happy about that. I've also had countless emails from people saying, Mark, I, I'm now a libertarian. I, I didn't know about the libertarians. I'm learning about what libertarians are about. This is all good news. I'm very happy about this. But I put this video out because I want to remain open-minded and I wanted to communicate this to Blake Masters and Mark Kelly and say, look, if you guys want me to step down, I'm happy to have a discussion about it. Um, all they got to do is have a public discussion with me. I don't want to do any backroom deals. I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I want things to be transparent. If I'm going to do something, I want everybody to see, I, I would prefer to have a conversation streamed to the internet. I specifically said I'm not having a pre-conversation here. I want it to be public. He's got to sit down with me and there are two ways he can get me to step down. Number one, convince me and I'll be open-minded about it. I'm not, I'm really not coming to the table with attitude about it. Convince me that it's in the interest of what I care about, which is promoting freedom and peace for me to step down and endorse him. So what is exactly it going to take here? I can't tell you exactly, but I want to sit down and discuss with him things like, what do you think the role of government is? I don't know what he's going to say here. How do you define freedom? He talks about him as being a choice for freedom. What do you think freedom is about? Bernie Sanders has ideas about freedom. Joe Biden has ideas about freedom. I'd like to know what Blake Masters' ideas, what's his definition of freedom? And then I want to ask him about some other questions. There'll be hard questions. I want to know how he feels about taxation. I want to know how he feels about the drug war. I want to know how he feels about gay marriage. There are things he could say here. Even look, I'll even take him saying, look, Mark, I, I understand and I agree with your position. I don't know if people are ready for that. I want to transition there in a slow way, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I'll, not my position. I don't agree with that, but I'll accept that as a real freedom position that might get me to step down and endorse him. But I want to be honest about it. I want it to all be out there in the open for everybody to see. Because I'll, of course, be criticized no matter what I do. But I want to do everything with integrity. If I step down, 
I want to be able to say, here's why I stepped down. Here's what Blake Masters said. And I need to, in good conscience, say, I really do think it's in the interest of freedom for me to step down and endorse him. That's number one. Number two, say he doesn't convince me because I didn't want it to just be my subjective opinion. The other way he can get me to step down is if we have our open uh, public conversation. And I said, if my poll numbers go down after that conversation, all I really need to see is the first three polls. And if they show me going down, I'll step back and I'll say, great. They heard what I had to say. They heard what he had to say. They're supporting him. I'm out. No problem. Done. So either of those two things could get it done. I don't know what the guy's about. We had this debate, and I put that in quotes. This wasn't a debate. I didn't have, we didn't have an exchange of ideas here. I want to have, I mean, to do this thing properly, he and I would sit down for several hours and really see where each of us is coming from and then have a real discussion publicly. And I say, Blake, I understand your position. Here's your underlying philosophy on this, this, and this. Let's talk about how that contrasts with my underlying philosophy, which you now understand as well. That's a real exchange of ideas. That's what I'd like to have. Not 45 seconds. Look, I got one minute. One minute, Mark. Explain who you are, what you've done in your life, and why people should support you. 45 seconds on fixing the economy. 45 seconds on immigration. And we couldn't even ask each other questions. This was ridiculous. This thing was a circus. And it would be nice to have a real exchange of ideas. That's all I'm asking the guy for. And if he's not willing to come talk to me, I don't know how he's fit to be a United States senator. People want to be upset with me because Blake Masters doesn't get elected and they perceive that I'm taking votes. I say, talk to Blake Masters. Talk to your guy. In fact, I will say something else on this point. Last night on Hannity, Blake Masters was on. And I got to say, I was very disappointed and shocked to hear him say that he has spoken to me. Hannity specifically asked him, they talked about that libertarian running for office and Hannity says, have you spoken to the guy? And Blake Masters said, yes, I have spoken to him. And I said, oh no, you haven't. You just flat out lied on national TV. Not only that, you made me look bad because I specifically said I wouldn't have a conversation with him privately. I will say he did call my office looking to talk to me, didn't get through to me because I instructed my front desk to tell him that I'm only interested in a public conversation, no backroom deals. But uh, I told ABC News about that. They're, they're actually the ones who brought it to my attention. I don't know if this will become a big story or not. But to start out lying, look, I don't lie about anything. If someone wants to know what I'm talking about, ask me. I'm happy to tell you. You want to know what's in my head, what's in my heart? Ask me. I've been saying the same things for 30 years. I got speeches that go back decades. Happy to explain. Look at my website. I put a lot of information about a lot of issues. I got more information on my website than probably the other two guys added together times 10. It's easy to find out what Mark Victor is about. All you got to do is be interested enough to look. I'd love to know what Blake Masters is about. Let's have a conversation and find out. If he's unwilling to do that with me, shame on him. He can blame himself if he doesn't get elected and he's more, he wants to point at me. I'm going to just say, look, man, I was happy. I gave you two options to get me to step down. Both of them started with a public conversation, which, by the way, I've committed to having in a civilized open-minded kind of a way. I'm not going to attack the guy. I want to sit down. I want to know what the guy is for. Gotcha. Um, yeah, just my opinion. I, 
I, I watched Blake Masters on the Liberty Report, and I've uh, read up on him a little bit. I read his article that he wrote. Uh, I forget if it was, I think it was for antiwar.com 15 years ago. And he, well, it's about the Lusitania. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, and he definitely has shown that he has leanings in our direction in some areas. I'm super unimpressed with some other stuff he's said. But my thought on this whole thing is if libertarians are going to line up behind him, they should at the very least want to extort him into taking better positions than he has. Because I know a while ago he used to identify as a Rothbardian, uh, you know, an anarchist, basically. I've read some of his other stuff uh, relating to issues other than war. And he was one of us. So he obviously understands the arguments. And in my mind, if he really is sympathetic to our views, like a lot of people say he is, it should be very easy for him to make concessions to us. And, you know, a, a lot of people are saying that, you know, he's basically an undercover libertarian. Once he gets in there, he's going to actually, you know, vote for a lot of stuff we like. I don't know anyone who's done that, who runs undercover as one of us and then gets in there and does stuff we like. If anything, it's the opposite. I mean, I, I still like Rand Paul. He's way better than any other senator. But compared to how he ran his campaign in 2010, he's fallen quite a ways from then. If no anything, question. you end up being less libertarian by the time you get into Congress. Um, so I, I am well, not convinced, but um, let me also say one point here. Sure. Um, he, he did write, uh, it escapes me exactly where he said this. I'm sure we could find it. Libertarianism doesn't work. Right. And yeah, I'm, in, I'm in favor of using the coercive mechanisms of the state to enforce conservative values. I don't know what that means. That sounds pretty scary to me. I'd like to, those are the kinds of things I'd like to ask him about. Um, because I want to know what is it about libertarianism that doesn't work? That'd be an yeah. interesting question. And what, what is it you want to use the coercive mechanisms of the state to enforce on us? What conservative values are you talking about? So all those are the kinds of things I think before any libertarian supports this guy. Look, I, I ran 10 years ago and I got pressure from people who said, Mark, you're running against Jeff Flake. Jeff Flake's one of us. He's a good guy. And if you beat him up too much, we're going to get the Democrat Rich Carmona. And I, I regret listening to some of those voices. And I went a little easy on Jeff Flake. And Jeff Flake got elected and he did his six years and he went in and he went out and nothing happened. I absolutely guarantee that's what's going to happen with Blake Masters. Maybe we get some uh, mostly crappy um, bill that he stops or somewhat decent bill that goes through because of him. But in six years, we're going to be having exact, we know this already, where if he gets in, we are having exactly the same discussion on the same issues that we're having right now today. If you really want to change, I can guarantee you Mark Victor will be unaffected, unaffected by what's going on in Washington. I will go meticulously from senator to senator and put them in the proverbial headlock and work on them for the libertarian slash live and let live position. If I can get them moved in that direction, I will. If not, I'm done with them. Yes, if I can get a bill through that's on balance, more pro-freedom or stop a bill that's on balance, less pro-freedom, I will do that. But that is not where change is coming from. Change is coming from sitting on the couch at Fox News and talking to millions of people out there and sitting on the couch at CNN and MSNBC and giving a hardcore, no compromise, taxes violate the rule, 
I'll, you decide what goes in your, my videos on my website say it right now, nothing is sugar-coated. You decide what goes in your body or what doesn't go in your body. You are the un, unapologetic, iron-fisted dictator of that. Now, if you think the world will be better because uh, Blake Masters is going to be marginally better, this is what we've been doing the entire time. Right. I don't think it makes sense for libertarians to support a guy who's marginally better in one election to get one seat. Do we really want change? We need change. We need real revolution in how we're thinking about government and politics and how we interact with each other. If that's what you got in mind, I'm the only one who brings that forward. I also put another video out there. If I get to 10%, and I don't know if I'll get to 10%, but if I did get to 10%, might encourage me to run as a Republican next time. And by the way, whether I run as a Republican, a Democrat, a Green, an Independent, it will make no difference whatsoever. I won't change one thing I'm saying. I don't change what I'm saying based on who's supporting me, who's sending money to me, or who I'm talking to. I say the same thing to the Communist uh, Party, Chinese Communists, that I would say to the Libertarians. You can take any of my speeches. They'll be the same no matter who I'm talking to. If that, if that, I think that's what we need. I wish more people would step up and do that. Let's get that attitude out there. Let's gather a new group of people. And by the way, the time is right. We got the radical left and the radical right. And then there's this big group of people in the middle who are now willing to listen to something new. That's the group I'm appealing to. We should be supporting candidates running down that lane right now. And there's more than just me. But for libertarians, especially leaders in the libertarian movement to say, no, support the guy who's got a marginally decent position on one or two issues. What are, what are we doing? We're shooting ourselves in the foot, in my opinion. All right, man. Well, everyone's heard your case. Um, I certainly agree with you that as things stand, you should not drop out and endorse Blake Masters. I think if he wants to li win libertarian votes he should be able to do that with his position as the Republican nominee by just sounding libertarian. It'd be pretty enticing for libertarians if he just said stuff instead of, like you said, flagrantly telling us that our ideas don't work and moving away from non-interventionist positions and, you know, pushing more authoritarian positions. I think it should be pretty easy for him to get the support of libertarians if he wants to. Absolutely. Um, he can get I, my support if he wants to. Show right. me that it's in the interest of peace and freedom to get you elected. It's, I'm not asking too much here. I mean, what is it about libertarianism you think doesn't work? I'd like an answer to that question. Yeah, well, I hope he answers you. That would, you know, if if you are able to have this conversation, in my mind, even if he doesn't make concessions or if he does make concessions and then doesn't follow through on them, it's nothing but a win for us that optically Republicans know that they need libertarians if they want to win and that they're going to keep losing unless they start listening to us and, you know, governing a little bit more the way we would want to. And if we were in a different time, maybe it would be the Democrats. They're typically further away from us these days because they've just gone so off the wall nuts. But both parties, if they want to win, I want them to start getting the message. They can't do it unless they start sounding more freedom oriented, less warmongery uh, and more libertarian in general. So. Anyway, man, I've had you for an hour. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. I know it was a little tough with the questions there, but I, I know you're up for it. So where can people keep up with your campaign and what do you need? Are you looking for signs, money, donations, uh, 
volunteers, all the above. What do you need over the next two weeks before the election? Well, the campaign is live and let live revolution.com. And by the way, that website, I intend to use that as the mothership website for live and let live candidates all over the world. I wish we had spent a little bit more time talking about this. Really, this is really what I care about. The big project, the global peace movement that we call live and let live. We got to get people around the world together. And so that's the idea here is that live and let live revolution will be the homepage website for people in Africa and people in Portugal and Poland and all over the place running for office on the same live and let live kind of a platform. And then that'll link to their own local platform. So that's what we're trying to set up here. I'm not trying, I'm not a politician. I'm not trying to run as a politician. I never thought those signs that say, you know, vote for Bob. Why is that effective? That's stupid to me. I'm a guy with great ideas. I want people to come to the website and learn about the ideas. I believe the ideas themselves are strong enough to carry what it is we're saying to win the day. If we need signs and bumper stickers to make this happen, we're back in the same old. These are people who don't really understand our message. We got to get people to actually understand our message which is why I've simplified it, right? Rule number one, don't be an aggressor. Rule number two, just be a good human. That's the optional rule That'll, that it educates people about the difference between a legal rule and a moral rule. That's when we know they get it, right? When they can say, hey, I think this is immoral, but I think it should still be legal. That's somebody who in their brain knows the difference between a legal rule and a moral rule. When they get that, they're on our team. But until they get that, they're really not on our team. They say, I don't like this, so therefore make it illegal. And so what I've done is I've really simplified. I've taken as a criminal defense lawyer would approach a jury in a case. What is it we got to communicate to people so they can understand? That's what Live and Let Live is about. So I'd ask people in your audience, go to liveandletlive.org, join the movement. It's free. Check the box that says you agree with the two rules. Add your name to the group. Let me stand up and say I represent hundreds of millions of people around the world. We, we need to be paid attention to. We're the live and let livers around the world. So we're not working against the Libertarian Party. The Libertarian Party is a freedom movement. This is a peace movement, and it's a global peace movement. So if people want to help, help us blast out that message. Send it around to your social media. Tell people about it. You want to get more involved, get involved. Donate money to liveandletlive.org. Maybe I'll run again. Maybe I won't. It depends on how things shake out and where we're at. And if I've got people who want me to run again, we'll see. I don't know. Right now, I'm having a good time spreading the message of liberty and peace to anybody who will listen. All right. Well, it's undeniable that you've done amazing work legally. Everyone go check out his website. Um, and he had me on his show a few months ago out in uh, um, out in Vegas at Freedom Fest. Had a good conversation. You can probably find that. Down Peace Radicals. Yeah, that's called Peace Radicals. And you can check it out at liveandletlive.org. We had a lot of great people on that show. We uh, really used Freedom Fest to our advantage. We had great conversations. So, yeah, get involved. I think, frankly, Reed, I think Live and Let Live is going to be the future of our movement. I would love for the Libertarian Party to prosper. right now. With what's happened with the infighting and everything else i'm not so sure we're moving in the right direction i hope it does and you know running as the uh, presidential candidate for the libertarian party is one of the things that i would consider i'm going to do whatever i think is going to be in the interest of getting us moving in the direction of freedom and peace whatever i can do 
So I can say Mark Victor did everything he could do in his power to try to move the world in the direction of freedom and peace and civility, frankly, is what I'm going to do. I'm just waiting for the, the winds to kind of blow me in the right direction. here. All right, Victor. Well, thank you for joining the show and look forward to seeing how the race turns out in Arizona and the live and let live movement goes going forward. Thanks, brother. It's great ha uh, having me on your show. I appreciate giving me so much time to explain my positions here. And thanks for everything you're doing for pushing peace and freedom. Absolutely.